Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacey Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of ThePaleoMom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Uh, I did a thing over the last couple of weeks. Do you need, do you want to know what it was? Yes. <laughs> um, I started a YouTube channel because I think that I'm a 19 year old. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What Are I'm you doing. like YouTube living all over the place now? I don't even know about YouTube live. No, I'm recording videos with my sister. And then Matt is editing them and putting them up on YouTube for me because between my reading glasses and my inability to understand technology, <laughs> I really am an 80-year-old woman. <laughs> um, okay, so I um, I love YouTube Live. It uses uh, – you have a couple of different um, sort of interfaces for it, but the easy one that I like is the Google Hangouts interface. So just think of like it's a Google Hangout, but it goes on YouTube – live um but i would have to have done a google hangout to understand that what just happened i'm telling you i am sticking to the technologies that i know and i am aging by the second but i'm so much older than you like four years or something i'm I'm old and older yeah i'm only four years i'm telling i'm only four years older than you four years yeah because i turn an age this year that would make you four years older than me. So we'll, we'll just stick with four. We'll round up to four. Right. That's good. That's I'll, I'll, we'll take it. So what we're saying is I'm more tech savvy and I don't have reading glasses. Clearly you're winning at life. That's, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I get to eat dairy. <laughs> oh, snap. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, for those people who are interested, I did start a YouTube channel, the healthy inside and out channel. I'll put a link in the show notes. I don't know why anybody would want to watch videos of (laughs) me like talking about things and showing them how to do makeup and whatever. I'm like, I don't know, but people have been asking, so I'm doing it and I'm trying to make it entertaining so by all means, if you need more Stacy time, if you, you know, first get some mental health help, if you need more Stacy time, and second, yeah. you can binge watch on my YouTube channel now. <laughs> There's so, enough material to binge watch. It is so scary. So you know, my kids watch YouTube on our TV. Like we have a kind, we have a TV that I don't know if it's a <laughs> smart TV or what do you call it, right? But it like that's what you call it. Okay. Why? Why I. I feel like I need to explain how to text message to you now. Exactly. It frightens me to think that people could be watching me on that big HD screen TV, like with no makeup on, rubbing oil into my face and talking about how this is like. Only if they had a warrant. (sighs) Okay. What have you been up to? Um, I have been writing and 
filming. Filming? That sounds Great. interesting. Um, so I, I guess I can tease this for our uh, health professional listeners. Um, I have been collaborating with Mickey Trescott and Angie Alt from Autoimmune Wellness to create a uh, autoimmune paleo practitioner's training program. Um, so I we're sort of aiming to release it late summer. Um, and, uh, we're pulling together all the resources for it. And it's, I mean, I, I'm just blown away. Um, especially the amount of really amazingly practical, um, stuff that, that Mickey and Angie have pulled together for this. I mean, I'm just the talking head and, and they're really the, um, they're, they're really the, the resource creators behind this and it's it's been a really great collaboration and i'm really excited about it so that's awesome um, so it's educational material so that you can spread your your knowledge base to a broader group who can help more people yeah so it's specifically for licensed healthcare professionals so that could be uh an md a nurse a naturopath a chiropractor and uh ntp a certified health coach so somebody who is working with um, clients in that entire range of, of capacities. Um, and it's to uh, educate the practitioners about the autoimmune protocol and the inner workings of it. And then all of the, you know, the troubleshooting and a lot of the um, areas where you know, people can really need a lot of help in terms of implementation or um, help in terms of diagnostics or, or again, troubleshooting. So it's really designed to give the practitioner the really comprehensive education that they need to best serve the autoimmune community working with them as clients. Well, that's super exciting. It sounds like one of us is doing things that are helpful and one of us is doing ridiculous things and I'll leave it up to our audience. And our listeners can decide which one's which <laughs> out of that. Well, I'm really excited because um, this week we are airing the second half of our uh, extra long double barrel interview with Dr. Terry Walls. Um, I think that the conversation that we've sort of left for, for, for this episode, um, I'm hoping it's still really topical because when we recorded, uh, like a week and a half ago, um, this particular press release was uh, blowing up <laughs> my social media accounts. Um, so maybe before we um, uh, basically join back our conversation that we already had, the magic of Matt's editing right there, um, I should give a little bit of a summary as to um, what all of the hubbub has been about. So... Um, let's see now, this was released on uh, March 9th as a press release from the American Heart Association conference. Um, and I've actually been to the AHA conference. It's a very, uh, huge, huge, I mean, one of the biggest conferences, uh, science conferences in America, um, very, very dynamic and a lot of different topics are covered. Um, and so this was a press release to go with a presentation from that conference, and it was uh, called Low Gluten Diets May Be Associated with Higher Risk of Type 2 Diabetes. And um, basically, this is not yet published research. Um, so it's very typical when you're doing a, a research study that 
when you start to get results that are exciting, that you'll present those at a conference. And then as you fill in the story, that's when you write the paper and send it to a journal for peer review and publication. So this has not yet been published in a peer-reviewed journal, um, which is very, very important to keep in mind. And because of that, there's a lot of information about the study that we don't have. So we don't have detailed methods. Um, there was no um, – none. The, the press release didn't share any data, any graphs. Um, so we really only know um, the general design of the study and then their – you know, conclusion, final conclusion. Um, and their final conclusion was that um, the people who consumed the lowest amount of gluten um, in, they looked at three different um, sort of long running um, uh, sort of epidemiological studies. The people who consumed the lowest amount of gluten had a 13% higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes compared to those who had the highest amount of gluten in their diets. Um, so there was no gluten-free group. So they were basically looking at um, healthcare professionals who did, they had health outcomes and they had um, food recall journals. So they were able to look at a, an estimation of what these people ate, calculate average gluten consumption, put these people in the groups, look at their health outcomes, and do some statistical analysis. Um, what we don't know is what statistics, um, what corrections were done in the statistics. So you can, when you're looking to see if one thing is related to another, and you want to make sure it's not because, you know, A is related to B and B is related to C, you want to know that it's A and C that are actually related, you can do some, some statistics that can actually help tease that relation out. So we know that they corrected for fiber intake, but we don't know if they corrected for other important risk factors that especially this group of, of people um, may have had. Um, and, you know, we don't know you know, if gluten-free is a different situation. So if they're talking about, you know, the more gluten you eat, the better compared to none, we don't know if then gluten-free would be the worst. And certainly if you look at the scientific literature that's been conducted thus far with gluten-free diets, di gluten diets and diabetes, this contradicts all of the other research that has been done. And there have been both human studies and animal studies looking at gluten-free diets, potentially as therapeutic um, for autoimmune disease there was, or for um, type 2 diabetes. There was a mouse study that was uh, published just last year where they actually showed that gluten-free diets dramatically improved um, glucose responses and insulin sensitivity by um, increasing beta cell mass in the pancreas. And the authors were actually calling for human studies to be done with gluten-free diets as an intervention for type 2 diabetes because their results were so strong. So um, the, the scientific literature that exists thus far definitely would state that gluten-free diets would be beneficial for type, for type 2 diabetes. Um, and even if you look at, for example, celiac disease sufferers, they don't have an increased risk of type 2 diabetes. They have an increased risk of type 1 diabetes because type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease. And once you've developed one autoimmune disease, you are at a statistically much higher risk of developing secondary and tertiary and 
quaternary autoimmune diseases um, after that, um, but no statistically higher risk of type 2 diabetes. So when you look at the bigger picture of what science can tell us about this issue thus far, um, this research doesn't make a lot of sense, which is why knowing the methods is going to be really important. Um, but I know that Dr. Walls has some really, really great insight into this. So maybe we should uh, merge this with our conversation. Without further ado, um, yeah, I, I can't wait to jump in and um, get back to it. So, Dr. Walls, did you see the press release from the American Heart Association? It was titled, uh, Low Gluten Diets May Be Associated with Higher Risk of Type 2 Diabetes. I, I'm pretty sure my entire Facebook oh my blew up when, when this came well, out. Well, you know, I, I missed this uh, probably because I'm uh, so intensely working uh, on uh, some interviews and my research Um that, of course, is going to get a huge, huge reaction because there's a large part of uh, uh, the public out there, the bloggers, that would, are looking for any reason to say uh, gluten-free eating is a fad uh, and uh, is not a helpful way of eating. Um, so I, I, almost, I wish I had seen that. Yeah, so I almost the, – the authors were quoted in the press release as a sort of common, and I almost – you know, I don't want to – misrepresent their words, but I almost wondered if that was actually their goal with this study is what they were looking for was um, a reason to be able to see, aha, this means that you shouldn't go gluten-free unless you're celiac, which of course is the dogma that we hear fairly frequently, um, you know, that somehow a, just because a (laughs) gluten-free bread may have, and not all brands do, but it, some brands have less vitamins and minerals than its wheat-based counterpart. Therefore, a gluten-free diet is a nutrient-depleted diet. Therefore, nobody should do it unless you absolutely have to. And this drives me completely crazy. Um, I'm sure it does for you because oh. in our community, we're not replacing a dinner roll with a gluten-free dinner roll, we're replacing it with an extra serving of vegetables. And we're having, instead of, you know, something somewhat in the same ballpark of empty calories versus empty calories, yeah. we're taking what is an inflammatory food with no really nutritional redeeming features whatsoever and replacing it with some of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet. And I think yeah. that that's common, I um, certainly see a lot of people who are on, uh, going gluten-free uh, simply swapping out the same number of grain servings for gluten-free grain servings, which is incredibly expensive. Um, and they have uh, still a high glycemic index diet uh, and a diet that can be relatively devoid of vegetables. Or people might be doing what you and I are advocating, which is uh, getting rid of the uh, gluten grains and having a lot of vegetables uh, and sufficient quantities of meat. So we're talking uh, uh, two different dietary changes. Uh, You know, and certainly as I've looked at some of these studies that have panned uh, gluten-free diets, it looks like the author is trying to design a study 
to show that being gluten-free has no health benefits or uh, has a harm. And when you look at the details of the methods of the study, um, that the study is fundamentally flawed. So if you see these abstracts where you don't get enough information to know how the study was done, uh, it becomes very difficult for, uh, for, for researchers to really comment on the validity of, of the findings and where they may have a useful point and where it may, in fact, uh, be a problem. Well, I think e- even more to, to that from my perspective, which I think is exactly correct, um, you know, I, I think of it, too, from like if it wasn't just about a gluten-free diet because um, I've gone to meetings for, you know, like regional celiac groups where the medical professionals who are sitting on a panel are telling people that they need to eat the same number of, you know, USDA prescribed um, non-gluten-containing grains. And when I then was the person on the panel who was saying, but why? <laughs> like, what nutrient do you need in that? It it was like the people had never even, uh, it, it hadn't occurred to them that grains weren't something that they needed. So when I think about it in the context of, you know, what is a gluten-free diet, you know, there are gluten-free donuts, there are gluten-free cereals, there's gluten-free this, there's gluten-free that. And so to me, I, I think that a lot of the processed gluten-free foods are probably higher in carbohydrate from rice flour. They're higher in carbohydrate from added sugar in order to make them taste better. So if all one is doing is replacing, you know, a gluten-free bread with, I mean, a regular bread with a gluten-free bread, then I could see how that's a possibility. But then, you know, we're not in just in the gluten-free community. We're part of a smaller nutrient-dense anti-inflammatory community. And so it's to me, when I hear studies about that, I'm like, well, it doesn't really apply to me because that's not how I'm choosing to live my life. Well, if you you actually look at studies... Oh, sorry. Well, I think we have to be uh, very clear methodologically when we're talking about uh, these studies and and the work that I do that I'm not talking about a gluten-free lifestyle. You know, uh, we're talking about a, a much more a specific high vegetable uh, density uh, lifestyle. So I, I think that the, one of the experiences for a lot of people, especially, you know, celiacs who are going gluten-free out of, you know, really intense necessity. um, I think that, yes, there are people who sort of do the junk food version of gluten-free, but I think it's a really common experience to at least over time, start to find cheaper options and more varied options for things that can replace a slice of bread or pasta at dinner. And there's actually been a couple of studies looking at the nutrient intake of um, of people with celiac disease, showing that they get more uh, B vitamins, more calcium, more magnesium, more phosphate, and more zinc than their you know standard Western diet. Mm counterparts. So, I mean, I even, you know, it's, it's this idea that because, um, you know, gluten-free, you know, bread made with tapioca starch isn't, doesn't really, it's still, it's still empty calories. Um, you know, we're, we're making a really big assumption, assuming that people are going to swap a gluten-free product for their wheat-based product one for one. And I think that when you look at some of these, you know, studies that have been done, 
it's it's clearly not exactly one for one. There's clearly a few yeah. other better, more nutrient dense choices in there, and yet it is such a part of this um, pushback. And you know, in this case, every diet that is gluten free, even if it is a vegetable focused, nutrient dense, paleo, you know, all of these diets that happen to sort of be gluten free on the side, they all get wrapped into this same yeah. narrative of well, because that knick-knick gluten-free bread doesn't have as much nutrition as that arrowroot whole wheat. Therefore, um, you know, you, sh- you, shouldn't, you shouldn't eat this diet because you're going well, the, to miss on nutrients. There is a big pushback, of course. Uh, there's billions of dollars uh, resting on the decline of gluten. Uh, and so, of course, there's going to be a lot of funding, a lot of interest in supporting researchers who are going to uh, look at this question uh, and, with the presumption that they can find a scientific rationale as to why uh, finding a gluten-free diet is not needed or is counterproductive. We need yeah. to look at, at the methodology, and I want to look at who's uh, funded that individual. So it looked like it was uh, grant funding. Um, there wasn't in their press release, they didn't, um, have any conflicts of interest listed, but, um, but I still feel like, you know, it's interesting. So what they actually did was they took, um, two nurses health studies and, um, the, uh, uh, health professionals study. So it was like two, two studies that were entirely women and one studies was entirely men and they, you know, these are studies that were long-term. They looked at a, a variety of, of chronic illnesses. They looked at things like obesity, um, and they had um, recall, food recall mm-hmm, journals. Mm-hmm. So they were able to take those and estimate gluten based on, you know, how many servings of bread or whatever they said. And what was really interesting to me is that they found that um, the health professionals study, those men actually consumed substantially more gluten than the women. Um, but they didn't, as far as I can tell, they didn't separate out gender. They didn't separate out shift workers versus non-shift workers, which is a, a risk factor for diabetes. They corrected for fiber intake statistically, but they didn't, it doesn't appear that they corrected for vegetable intake. And we know, you know, for example, that as much as a third of a cup of leafy greens can um, lower risk of type 2 diabetes by 13%, which happens to be exactly the percent risk that they found um, higher in their lowest consuming, lowest gluten group versus their highest gluten group. They also did not have a gluten-free group. So it was, you know, low gluten, medium gluten, and high gluten, and showed Mm -hmm. that in their comparison between lowest gluten and highest gluten, there was a a 13% higher risk of type 2 diabetes. And I mean, I don't want to dismiss I, I don't like to dismiss well, research just because it doesn't yeah. fit with my preconceived, you know, my my ideas of, well, of, of I mean, food. I mean, at, at most, it, it raises some interesting question. Uh, we'd have to look at the methodology of, hmm. of how uh, they did this. Um, and uh, we, we could certainly acknowledge that in the person who's gluten sensitive, if you're still having a little bit of gluten or a lot of gluten, it's going to keep your inflammation levels yeah. really high. So the gluten intake probably doesn't matter as much as what the rest of your diet is doing and the rest of your environment is doing. Uh, so that's sort of my interpretation uh, of that. I really would want to be able to look at uh, 
the methodology, but if everybody has some gluten in it, we don't ever really test uh, the benefits of removing this inflammatory food from your diet. Now, yeah. All we're saying is it's, it doesn't appear to make a big difference. If you're taking a little bit or a lot, uh, you're probably still maintaining this uh, pro-inflammatory state. And I, I would wonder about what these other confounding variables are. What's also interesting to me, and, and maybe they just focused on diabetes, but I actually, you know, the, the amount of data in these studies, they looked at cardiovascular disease outcomes and autoimmune disease and cancer and obesity, and they looked at it you know, all of the other chronic illnesses that have grown to epidemic proportions in our society. And there's no mention in this presentation about any other health outcome. Well, that's interesting. Uh, Did they just pick the only one that happened to be statistically significant and they ignored all the other outcomes? That's my interpretation. One I could mean, wonder. I mean, it'd be sort of odd to not have mentioned that and uh, the... Uh, morbidity, mortality for all these other disease states, uh, we, we would know, and they were impacted or not impacted. That, that would have been very interesting. So I'm hoping that that's something that gets incorporated into the paper once they finally get this research published in a peer-reviewed journal, because you're right, we don't know what they've corrected for. We don't know how they've divided their, you know, if they've divided, subdivided beyond just gluten intake, if they've looked at men versus women or other risk factors if they've looked at weight and, you know, shift work and, and vegetable intake, but, um, or exercise level or exercise or stress, I mean, stress level, they're all pretty much high stress professionals in these studies. But to me, it's, um, you know, it's one of those things that I can see people who you're right, like think gluten is a fad just hopping on this, you know, it's a press release for a conference presentation. It's, that's yeah. not peer reviewed in any way. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of blog posts about, see, I told you, blah, blah, blah. Yes, that's uh, it, exactly. I, that's exactly uh, going to happen. So I'll try and find that so I can uh, uh, work up a blog uh, talking about this. So, yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll have to go look at that and uh, write a response. Yeah, that's also one of the things that I've been working on. It's so hard as, We've, I mean, that's basically been our entire discussion is so hard to really critique the research without a method section and results and graphs to look at and, you know, a discussion and their interpretation of, of the um, data. And so it's, you know, we hit these limitations of, well, <laughs> you know, I have a lot of questions and I would be willing to, you know, to me, research is, there's always something interesting there, even with it on the I mean, surface disagrees with what I think, but it's yeah, not that, necessarily their conclusions either. Well, yeah. What, one possibility is that uh, it could be telling us that uh, as long as you continue to eat some gluten, you still have high inflammatory response in those mm. who are sensitive. Uh, and a little bit is as damaging as a lot. So that's one conclusion that one could make from this. It's not the conclusion that they chose to make, but uh, it's certainly another interpretation that you and I could have. Yeah. Well, and especially if you pair this with there's been a collection of uh, clinical trials showing um, paleo diet is um, therapeutic for for diabetes. 
Um, there was a mouse study that showed that, um, granted it, it's mice and, and that's not always a direct comparison, but it showed that a gluten-free diet um, preserved beta cell volume in the pancreas and um, glucose uh, sensitivity. And, um, and, and, and there are human studies, human studies that show yeah. a paleo diet uh, improves endothelial function, improves insulin sensitivity, improves uh, blood pressure. So uh, improves uh, fatty liver disease, uh, improves glucose tolerance. Um, so we have studies in humans done prospectively showing great physiologic benefit that is clinically meaningful in as little as uh, two weeks, four weeks, and eight weeks. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's actually even been, uh, there's one study that um, they were predominantly looking at weight loss, but they actually followed people for two years on a paleo diet. So um, we even are starting to get some longer term studies being done. Um, but I, anyway, but just because this has been all the buzz lately, I definitely wanted to make sure uh, that we talked about it. Yeah. Um, so, there's another thing that we really need to make sure we talk about, though. I was going to say, speaking of buzz, um, actually, Terry, we haven't even had a chance to talk about um, your upcoming book. I was wondering if oh, maybe yeah. you could uh, tell us about it. I know it'll be out sure. April 4th, so I haven't seen a copy yet, but I would love to hear more about it. So, I've seen a copy, and it's beautiful. It is beautiful. They did a, just a marvelous job with that. One of the uh, overwhelming lessons I got from both the clinical trial and the uh, clinics I run is that we need to help people cook at home. And many of them have forgotten how or never learned how to do that. Uh, it's also uh, the other big message I got is you want to do this as a family, get kids involved uh, in the cooking, teach people how to reduce their food waste so they can afford uh, these big dietary changes. Uh, the people that I took care of uh, didn't have money, and so we were asking them to make these changes uh, uh, in a way that they could afford to do that. And so that was the inspiration that led me to write the Walls Protocol, Cooking for Life, um, so I could teach people that cooking can be fun, it can be easy, you can uh, make great meals that you, your kids, your grandchildren will enjoy, uh, and you can do it within uh, 30 minutes. Uh, and, uh, and like my first book, I have it uh, categorized in levels, so you can follow it at any level, and we also have directions for those who need to remove nightshades and do this uh, more like an elimination diet. So we have all of that guidance. Uh, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Uh, we have resources to help people uh, get get started uh, in uh, even uh, more fun ways. So it's, it's a great book, uh, and I think uh, it will uh, help spread the epidemic uh, of health. It looks like it's a huge book, too. Do I see correctly? It's 150 recipes? Um, that would sound correct. Uh, so we have... Uh, and the other thing that I did was I uh, did this in a way of making templates. So we have a template for how you think about a skillet meal, how you think about soups, how you think about uh, smoothies. Um, and so for each category, we have several recipes by the template. And then I give you guidance so you can begin to use your culinary traditions, uh, your family's preferences, so you can make your own recipes. Oh, that's so I, smart. That's I mean, that's yeah. how most people cook. I know that's how we cook. That's I, People need to get comfortable with the recipe, following the recipe, and then they can branch off to like, okay, I'm comfortable now. Now I can cook with the ingredients I have on hand. 
uh, and that's that's where we need to get people so they can uh, afford to do this, uh, and it becomes uh, a lot more fun uh, for their family and their kids then. What I also like is that I mean, so I I got my copy this afternoon, so I haven't been able to cook out of it yet, but I've been able to flip through it, and it's it's absolutely gorgeous, and it's so beautifully organized. And one of the things that I really love because I'm a nerd is these little asides sprinkled throughout the recipes, uh, talking about, you know, some kind of, um, you know, sort of fun facts about different foods, you know, some nutrition that's in seaweed, for example, um, and then different ways that you might incorporate this particular food. Um, I really love the little extra little sort of nuggets of, of information that are sprinkled throughout. Yeah. I, I think that we want to make it a, a rich experience uh, for the readers. Uh, and I think we also have some fun uh, uh, Walls Warrior stories uh, sprinkled in there yeah. as well to help uh, keep people inspired and to see hope that if other people could recover from their uh, health stories, uh, that the reader could have hope that they'll recover as well. Awesome. Well, I really look forward to getting my hands on it. And for those readers who are listening, if you don't already have The Walls Protocol, that um, was out a couple of years ago. So you can check out Terry's first book. Um, And then The Walls Protocol Cooking for Life will be out. Is it April 4th, correct? April 4th. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And um, was there anything else that you wanted to tell people about? Any clinical trials you have coming up? Or? Oh, sure. So we are recruiting right now for people with MS, uh, relapsing remitting MS. So um, I'll make sure that Sarah, uh, that you guys have the notes so you could provide that link. Yeah, um, We also have a uh, collaborator in uh, Washington at Bastyr University that is studying uh, the uh, Parkinson's disease and MS and how diet and lifestyle impacts those diseases. Uh, that's a survey-only study where you follow on every six months for five years. And so you don't have to travel to Iowa for that study. So I want to be sure that we'll give you links to those studies as well. Yeah, and we'll definitely have that in the show notes on both of our sites for anybody who wants to learn more about them. And then the last thing to mention is I have a seminar, in-person seminar. So if people want to come hang out with me for four days and learn a lot, see what I've been up to since writing my books, uh, I'll have information about that on my website as well. Where is the seminar going to be? Uh, That is in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Uh, Lovely hotel. We've had it uh, four years. uh, And every year uh, we have new information, uh, different speakers. This year we're spending a lot more time working on uh, skill building and experiences so people feel uh, when they leave, they'll have more concrete skills about how uh, they approach uh, this complicated diet and lifestyle paradigm shift. That sounds amazing. Yes. It's, it's, it's really a wonderful time, a wonderful uh, community. Uh, it is immense fun for all of us. Well, I can't thank you enough for joining and geeking out with Sarah. I cannot always match wits with her. So I know she um, looks forward to you coming on and geeking out. Um, It's been a pleasure. And I just want to thank our listeners for listening. Anything else, Sarah? We'll be back next week. 
thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. That was your idea. Sometimes I come up with ones that aren't bad. (laughs) A lot of the time. Come on. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.